0: You know when your kids go to a sleepover the night before church and uh, stay up all night playing, and then they got to wake up, and that's pretty much half the men in this church this morning, you know, we're all like, and uh, you can tell who was around the campfire last night. Um, Kevin taught Friday night, and I taught last night, and uh, we were outside, and pretty much the entire time we were teaching, um, the smoke from the fire was just like, so... Got a little bit of a. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, I think Blaine was saying, you know, we just had an incredible time uh, this weekend, uh, unless you were a pitcher in the softball game that we did. We had three pitchers get um, tagged by balls after they were hit by the bat and um, major bruises and limping. And I think Kevin pulled a hamstring. How are you doing today, Kevin? A little better? You weren't limping to the communion table, so that looked pretty good. But um, yeah, so we went through the book of Ephesians, and the theme for our retreat was Amazing Grace. Uh, And uh, just while I'm setting up the intro here, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, will you lift your hand up, and we'll have some guys hand out Bibles. Normally, we put as much as we can on the screens, and uh, pretty much today, we're going to just be covering (laughs) Ephesians And so it just will really be helpful for you to have that right in front of you. Uh, So just lift your hand up. Nate's going around and Josh is going around with Bibles. And uh, uh, the theme, again, amazing grace. And uh, just on our elders' hearts, uh, as we went forward in uh, teaching our own retreat this year, a lot of times we'll have guys come in and speak, and that's so refreshing and so good. Uh, But just really felt uh, that, that God wanted us to spend time Concentrated time, uh, just focusing on God's goodness, um, God's love, God's action for us, God's grace to us, and maybe grace is a bit of a new word to you, or it's uh, you know a term that you're not super familiar with. Um, it, it just simply means God's gifts towards us. Um, a nice little acronym for it would be God's riches at Christ's expense. All of the riches and blessings of the creator of the universe poured out on Christians because of the price Jesus paid on the cross for us. And and so uh, just being led this year to just spend time being saturated with his grace, just drinking deeply of his grace, worshiping him for his grace um bragging about his grace and uh just believing as the new testament shows us that the more we're focused on his grace uh the more our lives are transformed and the and the more we begin to uh imitate him and and the more we are gracious to others and uh the more um we begin to live lives as jesus has lived and so um you know, one of the most incredible stories um, outside of the scriptures of a man who was transformed by grace was a a man born in England in the 1740s uh, named John Newton. Uh, John Newton is perhaps a familiar name to you a bit, but uh, he was um, raised with a Christian mom uh, and a dad who was a a ship captain that would sail the Mediterranean. Um, But as dad was gone so much, mom would take care of him and Teach him the scriptures and teach him the fear of the Lord. But she passed away when he was really young, about seven years old. Uh, And then the people that began taking care of him had no fear of God. And he slipped in with the wrong group of kids, a bunch of hooligans, hoodlums, and uh, just began terrorizing Essex of of, uh, England. And, um, you know, he just went deeper and deeper and deeper as he would grow, uh, even before the age of 12, into just major Sin and debauchery and paganism and wickedness, uh, just as a twelve-year-old, and uh, he would uh, then be put on ships to be sailing around as as help and as labor, and uh, falling in with more and more bad crowds when they would stop at places, and just. Uh, but then he would go through times where realizing, well, that, that's not good, and so I'm just going to become very religious and very, um, uh, you know, spend a lot of time you know, afflicting myself and a lot of time fasting uh, for months on end of various pleasurable foods. And and he would kind of go from paganism and debauchery over here to like super religious and self-righteous. And then after a stint in that, he'd fall back into major sins and gangs and things like that. It's just back and forth, back and forth. And and, uh, he ended up joining one ship that uh, he would... um, run away from his duties and they would catch him and beat him on the deck of his ship and he hated that captain that would beat him so much that at this point in his life the only reason that he would continue living was so that he could murder this captain and find the right time to murder this captain before he would kill himself and uh and as he was on this ship just waiting for the right moment uh he was given a book about the grace of god and as he's there in the ship rocking back and forth, they spent four weeks in like a white squall storm, almost like in the book of Acts when Paul was weeks and weeks and just this horrible, and he's just hearing about grace and reading on this shaking hammock, you know, and, and waters pouring in. And uh, he was supposed to go up up on the deck at one point, and the man right in front of him was swept off the ship right in front of him. And it was right then that he knew he needed this grace of God, or he was... Doomed, and uh, and that actually was where he was converted. But he spent many years uh, transporting slaves from uh, Sierra Leone, Africa. And as you read the history of England, and uh, you know he was a slave trader, and uh, there was almost like our Civil War and our Revolution and, and some of our history happening in England. Um, just the Holy Spirit just was transforming his life and pulling him out of the uh, the slave industry uh, to actually finally become a champion for human rights and freedom, especially you know uh, the the wonderful freedom that's found in Christ Jesus. But I mean, we are talking such an incredible you know uh, in in one man we've got just paganism and about as wicked as you can think, and then we've got another form of wickedness that we often think is is not wickedness, and that's self righteous asceticism and religiosity. And Jesus would say, that is just as wicked. That's like a whitewashed tomb where on the outside you look great, but on the inside you're full of dead men's rotten bones. And finally, the grace of God pursued John Newton to where he was born again and transformed. And people would ask him, you know, what changed you? What brought about this change? And it was this point in his life that he was telling his testimony. He wrote the song Amazing Grace that we know so well. And he was able to tell people, you know what? I realized I was a wretch. I realized I was blind. I realized I was dead. And he would write, amazing grace is what has changed me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm I see. And that's a bit of what we looked at in the life that God wants every Christian to experience. He wants every person who's lost to be found, everyone who was blind to see, to be saved, to become a Christian, to have more than just forgiveness, which is wonderful, but to be brought from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light. And so that's Exactly what we focused on. The same grace that would change a slave trader changes men from Prineville that are just as wicked, that are just in desperate need of transformation in their lives. And so we went uh, every night, uh, every uh, day. Actually, we had four different sessions, I should say. And uh, one of our elders taught each session. And on Friday night, we went to Ephesians chapter one. And I just got to say, uh, I didn't. I was trying. holding it in all week, all weekend. But um, guys, we are very blessed as a church um, because, like you know, we have elders that love people and can serve people and can you know head to a hospital and pray for someone in a hospital and can serve and can help facilitate. But not as many churches are as blessed with um, elders who can preach the word with great power. Like God has equipped our elders in an incredible way. They know the Word of God. They know the gospel, and they are preachers, you guys. And um, I'm, you know, I'm not like the guy here. Like we are four of us, and each one can preach and can handle the Word. And uh, it's just an exciting, exciting thing to be sitting there around a campfire, and just like, where's my recorder? I need to record this. We need to get this out there. Um, for people to hear. And so, uh, sadly though, they're not going to come up and share their portion. Uh, I'm going to share their portion. And uh, we're going to see if I can do it as good as they did. But um, as we're in Ephesians chapter 1, um, we're, we're going to kind of hop to certain key texts throughout Ephesians. Um, some big portions, some little portions. But um, as we look at Ephesians 1.3... It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and as I read the next ten verses, I want you to listen to what grace is, okay? What the gift of God is. Just total gift, not dependent on what we're doing, not dependent on our works. And, you know, that would be a wage. That would not be a gift. Listen to the gift of God in Christ Jesus So blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, now listen, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together uh, In one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth. In him, him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. We also see in verse 18 that Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we could know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And so one of the first things that we wanted to make known at the men's retreats, you know, we do a lot of men's retreats and we do a lot of conferences and we're always very aware and cautious because conferences can often be great times of motivational speakers it can be a lot of times of just some guy who's maybe accomplished something great. He was an Olympic athlete or, he, or a military hero or something. And he can get up there and everyone just is in awe of him or her, respect, respects them. And they're just going to sit there and tell you, you can do it. Try your best. You can do anything if you try your best. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. Look at me, for instance. I didn't know anything about the M sixteen, but then I went and I did a barrel roll with it, and I jumped into the enemy trench, and I did oh me 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 me, and you can do it too if you try hard enough. And a lot of times at men's retreats, you have like that, but maybe like and God, something, you know. That's just the truth. There's no power in it. There's a whole bunch of guilt for the guy that can't lift ten pounds in a curl, you know, and and it's like. What am I supposed to do with that? Just try harder then. Just try harder. And we went into this retreat just, man, we don't want to put that on men because there's emptiness in that. There's death in that. There's major discouragement in that. We want to fix our eyes on the one who has done it and who can do it through us by his power by his plan, because it's for his purpose and unto his glory. We were so cautioned, even in the first session, to just don't let yourself go there this weekend. Don't let yourself, even if, don't hear from us at all. Even we'll get to some passages that almost seem like they're just telling you to do stuff. Don't go there. That's not the truth of it all. we got to be careful, because we're always going to want to go there. Just do better, try harder. And Kevin that night quoted David Platt, who said, we are all recovering legalists. Every one of us is, as a Christian, we're being brought out of a place of trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We were joking because a lot of guys don't even wear boots. They wear white New Balance sneakers with Velcro on them, and you try to pull yourself up by that. Even weaker, you know. We are all recovering from a place of, I can make it on my own. I can do it myself and I'm just going to try even harder this time. And the New Testament says, man, you need to give that up. And you need to look to the one who has done it. And he will change you from the inside out so that you'll be able to do it. But it won't be of your own doing. It'll be his working through you to do it. That was our caution moving into it. That was... We want to be aware of those mindsets that just come right up to us. Kevin shared testimony of friends that he has that are involved in uh, Jehovah's witness, and you know, and, and how they even would believe in Jesus and that He came and he died on the cross and redemption and you know. Died blood, and there's blood there, and the blood is special, and, you know, uh, because of Jesus, there is hope. And they say things that it's like, well, we believe the same thing then. But we don't believe the same thing, because at the end of the day, the Jehovah's Witness, along with every other religious system in the world, says, well, Jesus kind of started it, but we've got to finish it. And we just got to try really hard and we just really got to do it and we got to, you know, go on that, you know, path of obedience. And at the end of our life, just really hope that we obeyed enough. And it's at the end of our life that we'll know if we did that. And that's just not New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is, look at all my filthy rags. I am a wretch, I am blind, I am naked, I got nothing. I am spiritually bankrupt. But God sent his son Jesus, Jesus, who is rich and who wore robes of righteousness and who lived it and who fulfilled it and he was obedient. But he died a death that I was supposed to die. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in me so that now I can be conformed into the image of Jesus and I can live and I get to walk in that same obedience as Jesus the whole time knowing I'm saved. I'm that wretch that has been saved and I'm overjoyed in it. And the difference is, is that now we as Christians live lives of obedience not to appease God, but because we love him. And it just, oh, it brings such a joy to be able to love back the one that has loved me so much. And so, the text that we read that Kevin dissected and pulled apart and preached from. It tells us all of the good things that God has done. That from the very beginning, he has destined us, or dare I use the same word that the Bible uses, predestines us. I'm so scared to use the word that Paul used. The Holy Spirit is the one that moved Paul to use that word. As Alistair Begg says, predestination, it's a difficult doctrine, but it's also a biblical doctrine and a profitable doctrine. It's not a bomb to be dropped on people. Predestination, I'm out. You know, It's not a banner to be marched under, we believe in predestination, if you don't, you're, you know. But it is a bastion or a fortress for the souls of those who are in Christ. When you read the book of Ephesians and you come to this book like we did this weekend, weary sinners wore out, failed three times last week, 20 times over here. Let's just look to Jesus. Man, from before the foundations of the world, He is destined for us to be called out of darkness and into His marvelous light and he has given us an inheritance among the beloved and he's telling us that we're going to finish this thing not because i'm going to white knuckle it through this life but because he's already purposed it to happen he's going to empower it to happen in me he's going to put me in situations and bring people alongside of me that are going to help me Woo! amazing grace That's grace, guys. Looking to Him. And all of this that He is doing, all these riches and inheritances, and He's doing it and He's going to do it, and all of these things we read in 11 and 12 and even other places at the end of verse 14. It is to the praise of His glory. So we can rest in the purposes of His plan because He has a plan. And in the end of the plan, yes, it's wonderful that we're going to be there and we're going to be clean and white and in paradise and woohoo that is wonderful but that's not even the cherry on top of the Sunday. the cherry on top is that all of us who are clean and white will give him praise and glory and even the angels in heaven are going to hear about it you remember that rory guy he was wicked yeah but then jesus came and washed him clean and gave him power to begin living a righteous life well praise god for that yeah praise god for that praise and glory That's the cherry on top of it all. He will be seen to be magnificent in his plan. And not only that, but we are moved as we know his grace. I had to write it down how Kevin said it. Knowing his grace rolls up into praise in a love relationship with Jesus. As we know this, as we spend time like we wanted to this weekend, just saturating ourselves in the grace of God, I think I can do it how Kevin did it. It will roll up into praise. It will roll up into glory. It will roll up into us having a love relationship with Jesus that is just consumed, not with appeasing him, but with pleasing him. I love to please my wife. Love to please. Just loving her. And my kids love to please me. And we just love to please the Father. Because he's first loved us. That was session one. It's only four sessions. Okay? Session two, Blaine taught. And it was in Ephesians 2, saying... And so it starts out with just some major bad news about our condition apart from Jesus. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were walking according to demonism and according to the head demon, Satan himself. That's us apart from Jesus. And then we conducted ourselves according to our wicked, lustful fleshly things i think uh blaine used a like a, a mill or a uh gold smelting term you know it was uh, our our fleshly nature was even forged even more in the conduct of our ungodly living or something just like man just wickedness being heaped upon wickedness being heaped upon wickedness it's all bad news that's a lot of wickedness that's a lot of bad stuff And then we come to these two incredible words in verse 4. But God. Dead in trespasses and sins, living according to the way of Satan. And just heaping sin upon sin upon sin. But God. And this is where we see grace come in. Not people that had a whole lot to offer God, like, hey, you need to get a part of this deal. This is going to be awesome. I'm wicked and I follow Satan. No, this is all God. But God came into the picture and he is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Even when we were, again, the term dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, Do you remember what the bad news was? How bad we were? And then do you see what he is doing in giving us status, saving us, sitting us in heavenly places. Exceeding riches and gifts. And kindness poured out on us, verse 7. And verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and you might underline this, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Blaine did a great job tackling the whole chapter. But there's so much grace there in the midst of the bad news and showing that we've got nothing in the flesh to offer, but he has poured out his grace and mercy on us. Verses 1 and 5 tell us that we were dead But he made us alive. The King James Version says he quickened us. He quickened us to life. And Blaine shared his testimony. Just an incredible, just heart-involved story time from Blaine of his life. And how Blaine was, verses 1 through 3. He was in a place of spiritual death. He had no sensitivity to sin, no comprehension or desire to be in the word of God, no presence of the power of God in his life or the glory of God and no care of it. But Blaine pointed out to us that you he made alive. He made Blaine alive. Now, who's this written to? It's written to, Ephesians tells us, saints in Ephesus. So these are born-again Christians who love Jesus, the introduction tells us. And the same is true for the saints today at Calvary Chapel of Crick County, those that were up at the men's retreat, and those that would even be here. And maybe you walked in this door today, and you're not a saint. You're what John Corson calls an ain't, Okay. You're an ain't. You're not born again. You're the child of wrath that we read about up at the beginning of chapter two. You're dead in your sins. You got nothing to bring to God and nothing to offer. But even that God would have brought you here today at a review of a men's retreat sermon. And He would make you alive today. And then at the end of our sermon, we'd be able to say it past tense Hey, you who were an Aint, now you're a saint. And 30 minutes ago, he made you alive. It's done. You're alive. You have a pulse. No longer do you have to live according to the influence of the devil and just live to fulfill the lusts of your flesh, but now you're an alive man or woman, who's partaken of God's rich mercy, and not only his mercy, mercy is, you know, you don't get what you deserve, and so you deserve hell, but in God's mercy, he's not sent you to hell, that would be mercy, to not go to hell, but God's also a God who's rich in grace, which means now you get what you don't deserve. And we often quickly just first of all go to eternal life, which is, yeah, that is wonderful, but there's even more, so much more than just living forever. It's living forever, being children of God, having relationship with God, having a new heart and a new mind and a conscience that's been cleansed from wicked, evil works. That that conscience that's been plagued is, is now clean, and now I can... Know God and serve God and be in relationship with God and be a partaker of the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness. We see there in verse 8 that all of this is a free, unmerited, or unearned gift that is present today. It's present today. Many of us can say, I have been saved by grace. And maybe for you today, today would be that day. I have been saved by grace. That was a little bit of a summary of Blaine's sermon and message from Ephesians 2. Aaron did session 3. And in session 3... We read, or Ephesians 3, which is session 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God that was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. And just jump to verse 5 there. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, Listen to this. This is grace, okay? That the Gentiles, that is a non-Jew. Anybody here a non-Jew? That'd be me, okay? I'm like, I don't know what I am, but I know that I am not Hebrew, okay? Most of us here, maybe one person, might have a Jew here. That'd be awesome. But the non-Jews, this is God's mystery. This is God's plan. And the plan is that the non-Jews would be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the non-Jews the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus? Now, uh, Aaron just started out kind of with his introduction that verses 1 through 9 is an incredible mystery of grace given to non-Jews. Then, In the Ephesians, they were in the area of Europe. Uh, the area of Asia Minor, rather, excuse me. And, uh, and here we are over here in Prineville, Oregon, just as separated by uh, genealogy as the Ephesians were from the blessings that were to be to Israel. But the mystery of it all is God has included the non-Jews, the non-Israelites in his plan of rich grace. And that this plan of the Gentiles being grafted into the inheritance and the promises of Israel was not some accident because Israel rejected Jesus and crucified him. Well, I guess now I'll go over here. No, God had a plan that even the rejection of Jesus by Israel was part of the plan so that now the gospel would go to the Gentiles and then one day the Israelites will see the Gentiles enrich grace. With Jesus Christ and they'll be jealous because we crucified the Messiah and those non oh man we want that and so uh, the Jews are going to get saved because of Gentiles relationship with their Messiah and he says this is all part of the plan it's no accident it was the plan from the beginning since eternity passed and it involves you the church And all of that is, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is one of the most important verses in all of Ephesians because it shows that you know That, that chief purpose, the, the biggest, highest purpose of all of this good stuff is that the entire universe, all of the nations on the earth and all of the angels above the earth and all of the principalities and powers, even the devilish ones and the dark ones, they will all be able to see God's multicolored, vast wisdom. And this church of Gentiles and Jews coming into the church, uh, yes, this church here in Prineville, and all of the churches will be able to preach through our living and through our action and through our partaking of God's grace that God had it all figured out. He wasn't blown out of the water by that thing that happened in the Garden of Eden and, oh, my creation rebelled against me, now what am I going to do? And he wasn't blown out of the water and all messed up when they crucified his son on a Roman cross. Well, that ruins the plan. I got to go back to the drawing board. No, we are part of this plan. Even in 2015 Prineville, as the church, as we've been made part of this wonderful thing called the church, we get to show his glory and his wisdom, and that his plan was so much bigger than even the wicked angels could have even anticipated that he would bring redemption to sinners by the death of his son. Paul says a prayer in chapter 3, that the Ephesians would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And that was a thing that Aaron spent a lot of good time in there, taking us from scripture to scripture, showing us that the gospel of grace is that we have been given the strength of the holy spirit to live for Jesus. You know, one of the you know, we wanted to saturate ourselves in grace at this men's retreat, but we are originally going to study Romans chapter 8 and not the whole book of Ephesians. That might have been easier, but uh, why Romans 8? Well, Romans 8 is grace. It's incredible grace. And of course, before Romans 8 is Romans 7. In the latter part of Romans 7, I think it's like verses 15 through the end of the chapter, you've got Paul who describes everybody's Christian experience. And he says, man, I have found that in my flesh no good thing dwells. Anybody else found that? Yeah, yeah even now, like here I am and yeah. There's nothing good here in just my flesh. I found in my flesh no good thing dwells. He says, man, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the law of sin and death? That would have been a, horrible ending to the book of Romans if it ended there at the end of chapter 7. Right? Like, well, I guess we go home now. You know? But it didn't end there. In fact, the chapter doesn't even end there. Because when he says, oh, wretched man that I am, uh, what shall deliver me from the law of sin and death? We find out that it's it's not a what. It's a who. And he says, I thank god it's through jesus christ our lord and then comes romans chapter 8 verse 1 the puritans called it the great eight and it says because jesus christ our lord delivers us from this law of sin and death and what i don't want to do i do and what i do I we're delivered and it says there is no condemnation, no damnation to the one who's found in Christ Jesus, who doesn't walk according to the flesh that no good thing dwells in, but walks now according to the Spirit. And in Romans chapter 7, you have the word I in that little section, like verses 15 through 25, I think it is, the word I is used some 32 times in just that little verses. I, 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 I can't do it, but I want to do it, but I don't want to do it, but I want to, this guy is egocentric, self-centered, and he can't do it. Then we come into, it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who sent the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, and the word I is used only two times, and it's not even in that context, but the word the Spirit of God is used some 11 times, and there's victory, and there's hope, and there's, there's, Um, power now. It's how God has brought the victory over that wretched man that Paul says he was. It's the great eight. It's the hope of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. And so as we had come to this point in the study, questions were starting to get going on in minds. And at dinner last night, one man came to me and he said, so, Man, I totally get, like, saved by grace, but you know, now my flesh wants to be like, well, now you don't do anything. You've been saved by God's grace and saved by God's gift, and He knows. I, I, he goes, I, I know that that can't be right. I mean, we just spent six months in the book of James, so you know, I, I I know enough to know that. But man, now my flesh wants to go this other direction and say, like, well, now, like, just you know, don't do anything. I guess. Simple as that. And we know that that is also not true. And so we come to Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 has been called a hinge verse. Where Paul moves from spending the majority of the time describing the rich blessings that God has graciously poured out on those he's saved... And he moves to now there is practical outflowing of such blessings. And he shows us what that looks like in our lives. Chapters 1 through 3 is the believer's position. But chapters 4 through 6 is the believer's practice or the believer's Christian walk. And there's one thing that we have been teaching you at this church is that as we study the scriptures, there's a phrase that says, The redemptive indicatives lead to the moral imperatives. I didn't understand what that meant like the first 30 times, so I'm just going to help me understand it again, okay? Redemptive indicatives mean God is indicating to us how he saved us. That's the whole chapters one through three. He has saved us by his grace. He had a whole plan planned out the whole time. I mean, man, he wants to pour out his grace and it's through Jesus and the life that Jesus lived. And oh man, look at how much he has indicated to us even this morning in these first three chapters what he's done for us. He's saved us by grace. And that will always lead to, so, so live and respond to that. It's imperative. Now, now we, there's there's a life that will be lived that would never be the same after having been saved in such a wonderful way. We were in uh, Portland this week listening to Art Azzertia teach Acts chapter 15, a major grace historical chapter. And he says, He said there, I wrote it down, your experience of grace obligates you to corresponding expressions of the same. As you've had the riches of God's grace poured out on us, we will never be the same. We've got to. I've got to live for this now. The French have a saying, oblige," which means nobility obligates when you've been given such high, wonderful privilege, man, it's just natural that we live it out now. And so this hinge verse says, I therefore beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The therefore means everything that I've been telling you. All of this grace, all that he has done, all of the riches of the blessings and the kindness and the love and the mercy and the grace of... Man, with all that just saturating your mind, I beg you, saints in Ephesus, to live a life that is step by step walking in worship of him is really what's being spoken of there. It's not, you need to make yourself worthy of all of this. It's rather... Man, look at the one who is worthy of all this. And in Revelation chapter 5, we have two different times of worship where we are there before the throne of God and we say with the angels and thousands and ten thousands and thousands of thousands of angels and saints worshiping before the throne and we say, Worthy are you, Lamb that was slain, to receive blessing and honor and glory and praise for you have redeemed us by your blood worthy are you when somebody is worthy of something it's not a big labor to like love them and applaud for them when someone's worthy of something i can't but do that i was thinking of troy koski last night as i was teaching this and and how when they got back from afghanistan you know some people from the church we went over to to the uh, fairgrounds in Redmond and, and we got American flags and you know we put our kids up on our shoulders and we couldn't wait for Troy to come in and just we wanted to thank him for the year he was away from his family and he put his life on the line and, and you know it was for our protection and for our freedom and I didn't do that you did that and we're just so thankful that you would do that for us and I don't, I'm not like working for like your approval I just want you to know man you're worthy <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And in the same manner, what Christ has done, actually laying down his life and dying for us when he shouldn't have had to, he is worthy of walking it out now. The gospel of grace moves us to display grace. And so Ephesians 4 through 6 show us what lives that have been touched by grace look like. And it was here that we needed to remind these men, do not look at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 as a checklist of things to do, okay? Things that I need to do to be a good person and appease God, but rather see it as good things God is calling me to do as a recipient of His mercy, grace, and righteousness that He's already given me through His Son, Jesus Christ. Very quickly in all of this, we're called to bear with one another in love, verse 2. We're called in verse 3 to work at keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We see there in verse 7, that Paul gives even shows even more grace and gifts in that each one of us has been given spiritual gifts and is called to use them. If you're born again, if you're a saint, and even if you came in and you were an ain't, but during the study you've been saved by his grace, you've received that gift of free uh, salvation in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, even here today, you've been given spiritual gifts. That's God's grace. More grace. Don't get tired of grace. You've been given gifts. Each one of us. And that's New Testament. The whole New Testament tells us that each one of us has received a gift. And Peter would say, since you've received a gift, use it. Don't put your Christmas present up on the shelf and forget about it. Man, break it out. Let's use that thing. Let's have some fun with it. Verses 9 and and on there uh, speak of Jesus. When he died, he descended and and then he rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. And when he ascended, he gave more gifts to men. And a couple of those gifts that we're familiar with today are pastors and teachers. So God has given more grace to you guys and that he saw fit to give you guys pastors and teachers who are to equip you to do the work of the ministry. One of the saddest things in the American church is that we think that we've got these paid staffers that go to our church and they do the work of the ministry. That guy's a minister. He does it. That is not New Testament ecclesiology, studying of the church. The study is that God has given you pastors and teachers to teach you and to train you up in how to serve the Lord and serve others so that the church can grow and make more disciples and send out disciples and make more churches and more disciples and send out and so on and so forth and we all use our gifts we've been given and we all do our share, it says. This is the grace of God. Because we've been given gifts, now he says, walk worthy of that. Go use that. It's a great thing. Respond to the gifts of God. Find your place in ministry. Verses 12 through 16, as you just have your Bibles open and we're, you know, we're cruising through these next final chapters and I'll just give the verses and you can just scan and look and use your finger to kind of pull these verses apart. But what Paul is saying there is if you've been touched by the grace of God and you're overwhelmed by the magnitude of what a precious thing it is, you will have a care to walk worthy of his grace. You will find your place In the ministry, it says that you'll be moved to maturity and that you'll, verse 14, no longer be children just tossed to and fro by any preacher with a golden tongue that, you know, has come to defleece the flock and to peddle the gospel and to make money and to serve his own belly and deceive you. But these pastors and teachers, they will be training you and equipping you so that you'll be able to spot a counterfeit The second you even see this person, the second you even hear it, you've got your Bible open and you go, you are wrong, sir. That is not the gospel. And so when we've been touched by his grace, we're moved towards maturity. Not being tossed to and fro by this book that just came out, you know, and then this, you know, Dan Brown, and he says this, and then, oh, the shack, and this and that and the other. and Man, I'm just not moved by that. I'm not tossed over here and on this trip over here man, we're just stable. We're anchored deep in Christ Jesus. Paul says, man, now that you know about grace, come out of carnal living, verse 17 tells us. Come out of dark, carnal living. No longer living like the rest of the Gentiles walked in the futility or worthlessness of their mind. They have understanding that is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God, verse 18. They're ignorant, and they're blind in their heart. They're lewd, verse 19, so they're, they're unclean, and they're greedy. Get away from that. That is a life that is not worthy of the grace that you've been given. And verse 20 says, that's not how you've learned Jesus Christ, That's not Jesus living there. That's not a life that's been touched by the grace of God. Run away from it. Flee from it. We're called practically as a response to his immeasurable grace to put off the old man, verse 22. It's like we're taking off a garment, a garment that has former conduct. It's an old man that we unzip and take off in the spirit. It's an old man that's rotting and growing corrupt according to deceitful lust, verse 22 says. So we put that off, but then we also do another thing. Then we put on the new man. And we zip up this time. I put on the new man. And I renew my mind. In fact, the new man is put on by renewing our mind. As Romans says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And some of you, as you're just seeing, man, I just feel like the old man is just ruling and reigning in my life. And and I thought the old man was dead. One way that you put off that old man and put on the new man, you renew your mind. You spend time in the word of God. You spend time in fellowship. You spend time with the saints, Put on the new man, verse 24 says, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And there's a whole lot of sub points in the rest of the chapter that come from putting on the new man. You're going to put away lying, speaking the truth to your neighbor. You're going to be angry about things, but you're not going to sin in your anger because you have the spirit of God dwelling in you. Your anger's not the same as it used to be. You're you're more grieved than you are angry. As Jesus got angry, he was angry. Grieved at the hardness of people's heart. He saw where the real offense was at. You're going to stop stealing and being self-centered in your dishonest gain and your greed. Verse 28 says, and you're going to be moved towards generosity towards others because you've partaken of life with the greatest giver of them all, the greatest lender of them all. No longer is verse 29 tells us that No longer is your mouth marked by corrupt words proceeding out of your mouth, but good things that bring building up, edification, and imparts grace to the hearers. We live lives that are not grievous to the Holy Spirit, by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption, verse 30, but lives that bless the Holy Spirit. When we put on the new man, we let bitterness, verse 31, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. We put all of those things away and were kind to one another, tender, forgiving one another. Now, as I told the men at the retreat, man, I, I want to see our church growing in not just picking apart verses and memorizing parts of verses, such as, say you wanted to memorize verse uh 32, to teach your kids, and you might say, hey, um, Billy, be kind to one another. Ephesians uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another. Okay, mom, be kind to one another. I just really need to be kind. Really, really need to this time. I really will. You know? (laughs) Sally, forgive one another. Forgive, I just got to do it. But man, we memorize the rest of the verse that says, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, that's what makes the scriptures gospel-centered. And that's what takes us as Christians from not just being moralistic or religious, but having heart transformations from the inside, from the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and the salvation. When we say be kind, we're preaching moralism. But when we say we need to be kind because Jesus was kind to us, that brings gospel transformation from the inside out and it brings the glory to God. Don't forget the gospel. Chapter five, moving on. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. God in Christ forgave us. So we need to be imitators of God as dear children, forgiving others. We need to be perfect just as the Father in heaven is perfect. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Gospel centered living. Verse 20 or verse 2 and walk in love as Christ has loved us. Walk in love. Because Christ has loved us and has given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma for, uh, as a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 3, here's more. that will be walking worthy of the grace, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Verse 4, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. All of these things should not even be named among us. It should not be something that is occurring in our midst. Why? Because we have lives that have been transformed by the grace of God. How can it? If we are saints who love Jesus, saints who've been transformed, we have minds renewed. How can this keep going on among us? Sexual immorality, lewdness, impurity filthy talking, shameful obscenity. These things should not be named among us, but what should? Giving of thanks. And the context is remembering what Jesus has done for us. As we're living lives, remembering the grace of God, these things will just be purged out of us. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who's an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, making you think, oh, that's just not true. That's so, that's old school, you know. No, don't be deceived. If you're practicing these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because verse 8 says, you were once darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And for the sake of time, you guys, there's lists and lists and lists, you know, of just things that, man, these things mark the born-again Christian. These things mark the life that has been Changed by grace. This, in a bit of a silly childish illustration I used last night, I went to a water park in Boise uh, this um, summer. And I, I'm a chicken. I don't do crazy stuff, you know. And I uh, start out on the little kid slide, you know. Woo, woo, And you're like, oh, let's go a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Next thing you know, me and my father-in-law my father-in-law and I are cruising up the, up the stairs to the biggest slide that there is. You know, once you're up there, you can't go back, you know. You know. And it's this capsule that they open up the door and it's a glass window, and you get in it, and <laughs> you're glad that your shorts were already wet. <laughs> and they close it. Cross your arms or cross your legs, do this, and the floor is it's this thing's gonna fill up with water, and they say, hold your breath till you go through the loop-de-loops. Because the whole thing's gonna be filled with water, and this drawer's gonna drop out from underneath you, and you're just like, "Wait, what? What number is it gonna? You know?" And uh, and as I'm going through this thing, it's like holding my breath, like loop de loop. How many loop de loops were there? And it's just, I'm overwhelmed with this torrent of water that is powerfully pushing me up and down and around and up and down. And there was this one part where it was like quiet, and it was like. Whew. And I don't remember seeing like a place where I'd, you get air in this ride. and You're like, whoa, like when are we going to land? And then I realized the ride had been over and I'm laying there in the, <laughs> at the end of it. <clears throat> but just as we were in grace all weekend, I, I felt like, so much grace and so much good. And God is so good, so good, so rich, so kind, an inheritance, incorruptible in the heavens. And I never did anything to deserve it. In fact, I deserved his wrath. I deserved hell. I was a child of wrath. And just, I felt like chapters one through three, I was just like, you know, and, and what is all that we're reading about now, all of this practical outflowing, it's just the, the push of grace moving us through life. It gets to be where you're just like, whoa, is, it, is anything even happening? Like, whoa! The power of grace. That may not have made any sense whatsoever, but it's all right. As we move towards clothing, clothing and closing. <laughs> Chapter 18, or chap, verse 15. Verse Whose side are you on? Verse 18. We were doing dishes last night. Somehow I, I'm doing dishes right before I'm supposed to teach. And I'm really tired and I've, I've led worship a lot. And I just, I don't have much left. And so I'm, I'm doing dishes with Troy Kosky. And I turn to him and I go, da 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 And I was like, no. da 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 No. And he's looking at me like, are you having a stroke or something? I don't know how I'm going to teach tonight. That's you know, and I feel that there we are again. If you'll notice in my notes, when I get to verse 18, I highlighted it and I put a cartoon star. And I hope that you'll do the same thing. Everything in the rest of the chapter and into chapter 6 comes back to verse 18 and the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. Okay. In verse 18 we see the main verb that all the rest of the chapter flows from and rides on. Okay? The gospel is that we have victory and obedience because of the spirit of God working in us. Now why is that important? Because we get to the rest of chapter 5 and ladies what do you have there? Verse 22. Oh, Brenda knows it. No, well, wives submit to your husband, right? What about, is it verse 25? Husbands, love your wives. Now, how many of you in your marriage, you say, hey, wives submit to your husbands? Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, well, husbands love your wives. Well, it looks like neither of us are doing what we're supposed to. You guys, if you start preaching marriage and family and chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents and, you know, employees, obey your masters, not with lip service and eye service as man pleasers and employers take care of you. If you start just saying wives submit, you have divorced the calling for wives from the power and the motivation to do it. And you have put a yoke upon wives that is religious and moralistic, and it's the same thing Mormons have and Muslims have, and it ends in death and condemnation. You never start, first of all, husbands, by the way, wives submit to your husbands, is written to the wives from the Lord. It's not, the context and the language is not to be read by husbands to their wives commanding. This is between the wives and the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I used to use it too. Okay. Not with Lindsay, but... We've got to come back to, don't be drunk with wine, like that'll help you submit. But be filled with the spirit of God. And it goes back even farther to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. The riches of God, the grace of God poured out. We could never have done it, but he did it. He planted it all out. He predestined it. He elected us to it. He's going to finish it for us. He is doing it, you guys. He is doing it. So don't try to become moralistic and do it on your own again. Your marriage will be horrible. Wives, spend time with Jesus being filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit of promise. Men, spend time with Jesus overflowing with the Holy Spirit of promise. And since it's mostly adults in here, get your children in a place as you're called as fathers to train up your children in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. Disciple your kids to be filled with the Spirit so that they can obey Their parents. Fathers, get yourself in a place. Do you like how we went into chapter 6 and you didn't even know it? Fathers, get yourself in a place where you are having the Spirit of God poured out upon you. You're just there at the throne of God, basking in the gospel, praising God for his grace. And as you read the book of Acts, those are times that the Spirit is poured out on us, overflowing for power to live the life that is worthy of the grace of God man, I'll tell you, your life will never be the same. Your sin struggles will fade away in the light of his glory and grace. I had to break down and just weep and wail in front of the men. I got tears coming down and the smoke's blowing in my face and it's making mascara lines. And I was like, guys, I got to be honest with you. The whole reason we even did this book is because I've been a jerk to my kids. Just... So gracious. Not at all. I mean, you know why pastor's kids have a stereotype of falling away from the Lord because the pastor's like, I got to look perfect in front of everybody all the time. And you better do it too. Don't you even think of messing up in front of people. And to make sure you do it in front of people, you're going to do it at home as well. Perfection. And just overwhelmed, not only with conviction, but just godly sorrow in my heart. And reading a book by a pastor, who, um, Paul Tripp, who's been through the same thing. And he's just like pastors, not only with anger issues and just, man, you've got to be before the throne of grace. And I said, I need a weekend away before the throne of grace. Who else wants to come? 20 guys came with us. Guys with every kind of struggle, guys that would read chapters four through six and say, man, I just, I haven't been doing any of this and I can't do any of this. Well, let's just spend time with Jesus and he's going to cause it to be worked out in us. People do month long, months long series through the Ephesian book and we did it in, felt like a month to you guys, I know. But man, go through it again this week, just in your personal time. Mark down all the grace, all the goodness of God. Just savor it and chew on it and tell your friends about it and write songs about it. I don't care if you can sing or not. Your grace is enough. Praise God. Make much of him. Cry out for the filling of the Spirit. He will empower you to walk worthy. As the worship team comes up, Going back to the very first chapter, rest in him. Rest in his grace. He has predestined you. Now that that can go a whole lot this way in theology and discourses, and that can go a whole lot this way. And we're just reading predestination. He has predestined you. Let's read that. Let's praise God for that. I'm a saint. He, he, before I was even born, he's calling me to be a saint. And man, like, he's going to finish this with me, for me, through me, for his praise. I can rest in that. I can quit saying, I lost my salvation again. I lost my salvation again. Oh, I got it back. I got it back because I did something good. I got it back. No, I lost it again. I, lost it. I, got, it. I got it back. I got it back. Oh, oh, uh, uh, uh. There is no rest in that. And there is no praise to God in that. Rest in him. And when you do that, you'll be moved to action for him. Let's stand. Lord God, there is so much there. I was so afraid that when it came to me teaching four through six, that after Kevin and Blaine and Aaron preached the grace, I'd say, now it's time to do stuff. And Lord, I just pray that you would keep us from that bent towards self-righteous, legalistic hypocrisy, just as you would keep us from blatant, outright debauchery, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would fall afresh on us right now. Every man, every woman, Every teenager and, and youth in this building, Lord, and in this room, and Lord, people that have just been striving and oh, I'm striving, I've got to do it, or I've appeased God, I've finally appeased God. He owes me mercy now, he owes me mercy. When Lord, we would just remember that you are a debtor to no man. But you have made a way for us to be forgiven and cleansed. You've made us righteous, past tense. We are righteous because of the blood of the cross. And now we are empowered by the same Spirit who rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And Lord, I just pray over not only the men who were at the retreat, but every person who is a part of this church who's here today, Lord. Lord, that we would just have fresh wind in our sails today by the Spirit. Fresh breath in our lungs. Realizing we could never do it, but you did it, Lord. realizing that you have cleansed us in the innermost part of our heart where we've been murderers in our heart where we've been adulterers in our heart where we've been covetous in our heart all of our lusts and anger and immorality in our heart lord by your grace and your mercy you've taken it away and you've cleansed us and You've scrubbed our conscience clean. That we can live, even if we fail today, Lord, you're going to pick us up and you're going to move us higher up and move us further in, Lord. We have a clean conscience to be able to serve you, the living God. Lord, all of these things will culminate in the praise of your glory. Maybe just during this song and right now where you're at, if you just felt like, man, this whole review of a men's retreat thing was for me, man or woman today, I would just encourage you to just lift your hands up where you're at. And just say, Lord God, would you pour out your grace on me? Would you give me a mind to comprehend this good news Lord, would you change my heart to to line up with yours, God, to be reliant on you, God, to be thankful for you for what you've done? Lord, would you fill me up overflowing with the Holy Spirit who you've sent to help me obey you and empower me to live for you? Lord, would you forgive me today of my self-centered, just moralistic behavior where I'm trying to cleanse the outside and maybe if I cleanse the outside enough, it'll do something to my inside, to my heart. And Lord, instead today, this church, would you cleanse my insides? Do what you said you'd do in Ezekiel and Jeremiah where you would take out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that beats and will know God and doesn't need to be told anymore. Know God, but it'll know God. Change my heart, Lord. Make me new. Quicken me today. And I don't know, as you're lifting up your hands or as you would be moved during this song to lift up your hands, I'm not... I'm not saying, like, I I don't know if you were saved today or, or what, but you can say today, save me, Lord. And you can say, I'm saved. Thank you, Lord, for making me a saint. Now move me towards this walk that is worthy of such good news today. Move me towards that, Lord. I just position myself today. Hands up in surrender. Heart bowed in surrender. Have your way in me. Take my life. Change my life. I'm yours. You're worthy. Just during this song, let's just lift our hands, lift our hearts. Maybe you would even just be moved to just take a knee and surrender to the grace of God and just let Him overflow you like in that Water slide just pouring out, just grace all over you today. And you would just position yourself to receive today. Maybe you would want to just come forward and kneel or take a spot in the aisle or go in the back. And man, let's respond to him today during this song.